I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson, recording this on Thursday night. NBA All-Star starters have just been named. We have an article for you about that at kslsports.com. No Jazz starters in the starting lineup. Not a real surprise, though certainly uh, having the best record in the NBA with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. You would think they would get some love. Donovan Mitchell came in fourth in All-Star voting in the backcourt. Rudy Gobert kind of came in a mixed bag. He was 12th overall by fans, 7th overall by players, and 4th overall by media as far as frontcourt players go. So you kind of see the people in the know uh, really like Rudy and kind of just the national fans who don't see him on a nightly basis don't really understand his impact, and I think that's fine. Uh, Starters otherwise I think went accurately. Uh, If I were to vote for the All-Stars, it's the five I would have voted for to start. Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. I don't think there's really any arguments there. Maybe if you wanted to put Dame in uh, and say he deserves better because the uh, right now the Trailblazers have had a better season than the Warriors have. That's why he would get in over Steph. I totally understand that. But Steph's been every good as, as every bit as good as Dame has this season. So uh, I have no qualms with that. So And good to see Steph back in the NBA and playing as well as he is. So that's how I would have done it as well. Read all of our articles at kslsports.com. Download the app, KSL Sports app, whatever type of phone you have. Super easy to do. It's going to be in your app store. And follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Uh, What I like to do with these podcasts for the most part is answer your questions. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you're not going to see when I ask for the questions or or when to start submitting these questions. And uh, so it's going to be hard for me to answer those for you. But if you do follow me on Twitter and you don't see the tweet, my DMs are open. So if you have a question, send it to me. I'll usually either answer it on the spot or uh, I'll I'll try and save it for the podcast. So let's try and get to some of these questions. There were some very good ones today because the Jazz are uh, finding themselves in kind of an interesting spot, and I think think a lot of Jazz fans want to know exactly what this team has coming up. Now, one of the big questions uh, that Jazz fans are asking is, are the Jazz going to be active at the trade deadline? Trade deadline's coming up uh, at the end of March, March 25th. The Jazz could go out and and bring in a player if they wanted to. Uh, They have an open roster spot. They've only signed 14 players. You can have as many as 15. We know the Jazz are in the uh, luxury tax already, so adding more players is going to be more expensive. But you're also in a real spot where you might win a championship this season. At least you think you're competing for a championship. So it probably makes sense that if there's a player out there who wants to join you, who's proven they can help an NBA team win at the highest levels, you should probably go and look at that. So I I talked about some of those players. First of all, the Jazz aren't going to trade any of their top nine guys. 
That's Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gobert, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, George Niang. I don't think any of those guys get moved. Maybe George Niang, if the Jazz feel like he's going to cost too much money this offseason. Uh, but he's really valuable. You know, he shoots the three really well. He knows the Jazz system. He's gotten better defensively this season. He's a good ball mover. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. Like, George Niang minutes aren't bad minutes anymore, especially when he's shooting well. And he hasn't shot particularly well this season, and he's still been good. So if he gets back to being a 40% three-point shooter, uh, you like having him, and he's pretty cheap, and he's worth having on this roster right now. Then, I don't know if anyone below those nine guys that's on the Jazz roster has value anywhere else that isn't less than where the Jazz would value them. That's Miaoni, Juwan Morgan, Shaq Harrison, Elijah Hughes, and uh, Yudoka Azabuki. Now, maybe Shaq Harrison doesn't have much value, and maybe if the Jazz behind the scenes has said, hey... He doesn't shoot well enough to do the things we want, and we don't think he's better than Trent Forrest, and we're paying him the NBA minimum, and we would rather move him for a team that thinks they want a defensive point guard, and they're willing to give us something back that we want, which is like a three-point shooter, uh, and we think there's money to be saved there, or it's equal money. Maybe you could work something like that out. Uh, But right now, I don't think that's probably a high priority. And I don't know why a ton of teams would be going after Shaq Harrison if they wanted him. They could have signed him in the offseason. It seems like the Jazz were the team that was willing to do that. So I don't see a trade as far as player for player. Maybe the Jazz could go out and trade a draft pick. They're not going to trade a first round draft pick. Uh, They really can't. It's really difficult with all the picks they've given up for Conley. Um, But they could trade a second round draft pick. Again, they've shipped a lot of those around lately. So that could be difficult. So let me talk about a few names that I found on the buyout market that could be interesting for Jazz fans. Garrett Temple, the guard from the Chicago Bulls. uh, He's a veteran veteran now. He's been in the NBA a very long time. He's been mentioned with the Jazz since he was like 29, and that was five years ago, 2015. So I guess that's six years ago now. We're kind of the first mentions you remember of Garrett Temple with the Jazz. That was when they were more trying to figure out, hey, who can play next to Gordon Hayward? And, you know, is it George Hill or should you find somebody else? Or, you know, is there a combo guard you can find? The Jazz had all these questions. Uh, Garrett Temple's older now. I don't think he's even better than Mieoni, but he's certainly a better shooter. So maybe if the Jazz felt like they needed to add a fifth guard that wasn't Mieoni, uh, they could go out and do that. But man, if I'm thinking you're coming to join the Jazz for the last 30 games of the season, because or last 20 games if you join in late March, uh, the odds of you knowing the system quickly enough, having Quinn Snyder's trust, having the chemistry with the rest of your teammates that Mie already has, that you're going to leap him is really slim. So only if Mike Conley has more setbacks with his hamstring or if there's another injury would I think that the Jazz could bring in a guard where they already have the deepest guard rotation in the NBA uh, and it'd be somebody that could make an impact. Now, one guy who is a guard who could potentially make an impact because of his skill is Wayne Ellington, uh, the guard from the Detroit Pistons. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA, over 43% this season. He's a guy who can take seven in a game. Like He's got that skill set. Now, he wouldn't play enough minutes for the Jazz to get seven in a game, but you could put him out there for five, ten minutes if you have to, the way Mie gets those minutes right now. And if you said, hey, we just need the shooting, we don't need the rebounding, Quinn Snyder could say that's, I have confidence in Wayne Ellington and he's been around long enough. He's been on some decent teams in his career. He's been on some bad teams too. But that's a guy who's played so many years and is just a great shooter. He would probably step in and do exactly what the Jazz need right away. Would the Jazz give up a second round pick to rent him for the rest of the season? If you think he gets you closer to a championship and... You're not worried about the money you cost by bringing in another veteran. If he gets away, you're probably not going to 
trade for him. I guess maybe you could, but you know, if he gets waived, you can get him on in at, at, at kind of pennies on the dollar. He's probably worth it. He might even be worth uh, trading a second round pick for. Otto Porter, you couldn't trade for because he makes so much money. The wing from the Chicago Bulls. Another guy who's been mentioned with the Jazz a bunch. Uh, remember, he was the guy the Jazz were going to go after to replace Gordon Hayward when Hayward left for the Boston Celtics. They just ended up so late because Gordon waited so long to sign his deal that they couldn't go out and sign him, and he signed with the Wizards and then never ended up in Utah. He's been hurt since February 1st. He's got back injuries. Those are scary. He's older. But he shoots 40% from three. He takes more than four a game. He's a pretty good defensive player. He's not the guy he used to be in his prime, but the Jazz have had interest in him. Apparently, he's had interest in the Jazz. Uh, So if he gets waived, because the Bulls could save a lot of money potentially, or some money by waiving him, depending on what he agrees to with his buyout, uh, and he wants to come play for a team that he's got some familiarity with, or at least has a a brief history with, has talked to uh, the Jazz before about signing a deal here, maybe has interest in Quinn Snyder, he could come in and potentially get minutes uh, on the wing if the Jazz wanted to make sure that you know Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal or Boyan Bogdanovich could get a little bit more rest. That's a guy who could step in. Mike Muscala, I put on this list, forward from Oklahoma City Thunder. He's a very poor man's Boyan Bogdanovich. Basically, is just a uh, floor spacing four, five. Um, Jazz just don't have a guy like that other than George Niang and Boyan Bogdanovich, who only shoots threes. Uh, so if they felt like that was a guy that they could use in moments where they don't feel like Favors could play the five, that's a guy you could go with. Again, are you going to play him over Jawan Morgan? Probably not. Jawan's a really good player uh, and has shot the ball well a, a couple of times throughout his career. Uh, and then the final name here I've got is Aaron Baines from the Toronto Raptors. Baines has had a terrible season in Toronto, Tampa Bay technically. That's where they're playing. Um, he's shooting like 22% from the three-point line. He shot 35% last year for the Suns. Toronto's had such a significant drop that maybe they want to get rid of him, but they already waived Alex Len earlier this season. So they've already gotten rid of one front court player just by you know eating the money and telling him to say goodbye. Will they do that again with Baines, who still plays like 20 minutes a game? I don't think so. But if something happens and they drop significantly out of the playoff picture or they trade Kyle Lowry, which some people have have mentioned that they might have interest in doing if they want to get a draft pick back or some pieces, maybe they also wave Baines and just try and save money. Uh, That's a name I would keep an eye on. He could come in potentially and play if the Jazz are are worried about Favors' viability or they want to add the idea of floor spacing, though again, he hasn't shot the ball well this year. Baines could be an idea, and I know that's one Jazz fans are going to be excited about. Still, I don't know if he's better than Juwan Morgan. He's probably better than Juwan Morgan. I don't know if he's better than Derek Favors. In fact, I'm pretty positive he's not. So I I don't know if the Jazz have room to bring somebody else in that will play. A couple of those names potentially could. Certainly, they get more interesting if the Jazz need depth and there's an injury, and that's always going to be you know something you got to risk or or be wary of. And then especially with the coronavirus as you get into the postseason, if you do miss a guy for four games, that could be an entire playoff series if you get swept. So uh, having some depth there and filling out that 15th roster spot would be valuable. And I suspect the Jazz do try to fill it out by the end of the year. So good question. Uh, I know there was a couple of questions actually about trades and the buyouts. So uh, that was from Dad Sham Dad, uh, my guy Greg there on uh, Twitter. So appreciate that. Uh, Zach on Twitter tweeted in, if you're, gonna, if you're game planning against the Jazz, what's your approach? And... How many teams have the ability to actually pull that off? Curious what Quinn Snyder or the top guys would say their biggest weakness is. So I I think one of the questions about the Jazz this year that's giving me real pause about whether or not they're a true contender or not is 
how many teams adequately can prepare for what the Jazz do with this abbreviated, condensed NBA schedule? So when you're not practicing and some teams are barely shooting around, how much are you actually preparing for the other team? How good is the scouting report for the other team? Because I do think one of the dirty secrets about the NBA is that you don't have these crazy, crazy scouting reports on opposing teams during the regular season. Then when you get into the postseason, you pick everything apart and you take everything away. During the regular season, you try and take a few things away. You try and take away, you know, the hand that the guy favors and a couple of their, you know, obvious plays that they run that are unique that not everyone in the NBA runs that you already know how to defend. And you just hope their players aren't good enough to run it as well as they want. So you're getting even less preparation this year. So does that favor a team that has a really strong identity? And right now, I think the Jazz have maybe the strongest identity in the NBA as far as their first option is going to be Mike Conley pulling up for a three or Donovan Mitchell pulling up for a three, and then they're going to run the pick and roll for Rudy for a lob. And if that's not there, they're going to run to, they're, they're going to kick the ball to the corner and hope that Royce or Joe or Boyan gets a corner three. And if that's not there, they'll kick it back out to the angle three and Donovan's going to have a look or you're going to close out and he's going to get into the paint. Like the Jazz just run that to death over and over and over and know that eventually you're going to blow your defensive assignment and they're going to get a shot. Is that because other teams aren't prepared well enough for the Jazz because they're not practicing and shooting around? Or is that because the Jazz are truly so much better than everybody in the NBA right now that nobody's going to stop it? Because the Houston Rockets used to be really difficult to prepare for in the regular season because they played that unique high three-point shooting uh, type of uh, style of basketball. The Phoenix Suns did it too, both with Mike D'Antoni. And then when you get to the postseason, they were much less dangerous because you could prepare for them. Now, the Jazz were bad at preparing for them, but you know they only made the Western Conference Finals once and they got eliminated by some other teams and they got eliminated by teams that on paper, when they were as injured as they were, thinking of the Warriors, they probably the Rockets probably should have won that series. So that's my question for the Jazz. Is this offense so much like those prolific three-point shooting teams that once you can start taking pieces apart, will the machine fail and fall apart and then they can't make the finals? That's my question. Last year, the Milwaukee Bucks were a great defensive team, but they weren't able to adjust enough on offense because of their personnel, because Giannis isn't really a closer, that they couldn't find a way to get to the conference finals. Even though they were the best defensive team in the NBA, they had the best net rating in the NBA. When it came down to what other teams were able to adjust to with more time to prepare in the postseason, they couldn't counter that. Now, I think Quinn Snyder's a better coach than Mike Budenholzer. I think we've seen Quinn make really good adjustments in the postseason. I think we've seen Quinn outcoach a lot of coaches in the postseason. In fact, I think he probably still did it last year with Mike Malone and the Nuggets, but they just had more talent. Jazz were without Boyan Bogdanovich and hadn't really been super healthy all season. So I think those are all things that, that came into play. The Jazz being good on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, makes that a little bit less of a concern because ideally that should travel and it's going to be hard to take away everything that the Jazz do and their offense is unique enough with what I was talking about, that pick and roll, which results in a three-pointer first, a lob to Rudy second, a corner three fourth, an angle three fifth, and then ISOs sixth, seventh, and eighth if you want them. That's just really hard to stop. That's a lot of options that the Jazz can go to. I call it their contingency offense. You just you run one thing, and if it's not there, you go to the second contingency, and then the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and eventually you're going to get something good. And it's why the Jazz have been so good this season. So how many teams can take it away? The Lakers can take it away uh, because they're so long. If Anthony Davis is healthy this year, and he's not right now, but if he comes back and is fully healthy, what they can do with 
some of their guards, and then certainly with Anthony Davis defending the pick and roll, they can guard the Jazz pick and roll with just two players. And then you have enough guys that are long and athletic that can stick with the Jazz shooters on the wing. And then if you start getting into ISO situations where the Jazz can usually start picking other teams apart, it gets hard to isolate if they can switch LeBron onto you or Anthony Davis onto you. And so they, you know, the Jazz have struggled with that kind of weird switchy defense that they've run into a few times this season. They'll be really bad in the first quarter, and then they slowly figure it out because they find the weakness. Well, if you get to a team that can defend the pick and roll with two players, and then they start switching everything on the perimeter, I think that's going to be really tricky for the Jazz, and I think the Lakers can do that. So I think that's probably the main team. Let's see what the Clippers can do when they're fully healthy, but they really don't have an answer for Rudy Gobert. He's going to torch them. I don't think they can slow down the pick and roll fully because they don't have a big that can stop it. Otherwise, there's just there's really not a lot of teams that, that can do it. There's not a lot of teams that have a good enough, long enough, athletic enough, smart enough big man that can defend the pick and roll as well as a guy like Rudy Gobert does that also has a really good guard that can do it. So I don't see a lot of teams. The Lakers are going to be the the main team that I point to. Uh, That's how I would attack the Jazz. That's how I think the Lakers are going to attack the Jazz if they run into them. Can the Jazz respond or not? I think that's going to be the question about whether or not they can win a championship. And that's, you know, that right now I think that's who's standing in their way, that the Lakers are going to be the the one team the Jazz are going to be most afraid of as as saying, you know, do they really belong or not? Uh, Mayor McCheese on Twitter. Does the when does the NBA decide on three point competition players and could the, could a jazz player make it? Here's what I do think is going to be awkward: is that I don't think the NBA wants to fly in a bunch of extra players if they don't have to because they're already getting a lot of criticism about guys who are going to be at the NBA All Star game and the fact that they're holding an All Star game in the first place. So, could the Jazz get an All Star player? who's also in the three-point contest, I think the obvious answer is Donovan Mitchell. Uh, And he could do that, you know, because that's not a ton of wear and tear on your legs. Donovan doesn't want to do the dunk contest anymore. Dunking's really hard on him. Uh, He has to work hard just to, you know, dunk that much during the regular season, much less do it in the the middle of an all-star break. So I'm sure he would do the the three-point contest if they invited him to. That would be the odds-on favorite. Maybe if Royce O'Neal wanted to do it, but he's not exactly the you know the most exciting name. And there are more exciting three-point shooters that probably don't have as good of percentages as some of the Jazz shooters. But the league would like to highlight a guy like you know a Fred VanVleet or, or somebody like that. So I think there are names that would make sense for the Jazz, though I don't think they are uh, they're cool enough names for the NBA. So the only one I'd point out is Donovan Mitchell. Glenn Anderson, do we have a way to replace Conley if he walks? Can we sign him to an extension right now, or do we have to wait until the offseason? You can sign him until June 30th, I believe. So, uh, yeah, the Jazz can sign him. The Jazz can get a deal done uh, and not have to worry about free agency. Uh, And I think they would love to do that if they could find the right deal, if he would agree to, you know, the mid-level exception or those types of numbers. Uh, I'm sure the Jazz would love to do that, but they need to see how far they get in the playoffs, probably. They need to see if this roster actually works. So I think there's a realistic chance he gets to the... uh, he gets to, to free agency anyways. And if he does that, a lot of teams are going to have interest in him because, you know, the Clippers need a point guard and should have the mid-level exception. And the Lakers might need a point guard and should have the mid-level exception. And the Bucks are going to want a point guard and they have it. You know, so all these contenders are going to want Mike Conley and the Jazz might be in that conversation too. And at this point in his career, I think the best hope is that he likes Quinn Snyder. He likes his fit with his teammates. He's got three young kids, but he's in the later years of his career. So he doesn't want to change states again. Uh, that would be my best guess for Glenn, uh, for for Mike Glenn. Uh, on your question, can the Jazz replace him if he walks? 
no, you don't have a player as good as that, but the Jazz have been pretty good without him over the last six games. And you do have a guy like Yogi Ferrell sitting on the G League team with the Stars right now in Orlando uh, that does a couple of the same things. Not super similar, but he's a little undersized, uh, certainly not as savvy or as good a defender as Mike is, but can shoot the ball a little bit and play make a little bit. You know, there's there, there's a reason why the Jazz went out and found him. Uh, I don't think that was accidental. Another question, Monique. Was Boyan always this streaky? What did his numbers look like before he came to the Jazz? Boyan is a weirdly streaky player, and usually he gets better as the season goes on. Like Traditionally, he's been a guy who plays his best basketball after the All-Star break, and I can pull up his career splits for you to really kind of break this down. But I remember last year when he started slow for the Jazz in the preseason, looking at his numbers, and it felt like, okay, he always kind of starts slow. He's never the best player in the NBA early, and then he traditionally gets a little bit better. So here, let's look at some of his uh, shooting numbers, and we'll just do kind of easy pre-All-Star break, post-All-Star break, instead of going month to month. So traditionally in his career, before the All-Star game, he averages 14 points, 3.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists. He shoots 58% true shooting percentage, which to to be a little less dorky about it, he shoots 45% from the floor and about 39% from the three-point line. After the All-Star break, those numbers climb to 15 points a game, so about a one-point increase, identical rebounds, three and a half, almost identical assists, 1.6 as opposed to 1.5, but his shooting percentage jumps from 45 to 47, and his three-point shooting jumps from 38% to 41%. So there's a little less streakiness in there, but it's not a huge drop. It's not It's not a huge change. So I, I do think the streakiness you're probably talking about is his lack of consistency this season, where he'll have six games where it looks like he's fully back, and then the last few games he's looked bad again for the Jazz. I think he's struggled adjusting to his role with Mike Conley in the lineup and then out of the lineup, and then Mike's going to come back, and I bet he starts to look better. That That's honestly kind of my guess. I think what happened was last season he got really good when Mike went out of the lineup because he knew he was getting all these shots and looked terrific, and Mike was really struggling. Then he got hurt and didn't play in the postseason when Mike came back. Then the regular season started and the Jazz had Conley and Bogdanovich was trying to find his shot and was coming off the injury and couldn't do it. And then Mike went out of the rotation just as as Boyan was getting back and playing a little bit better and things changed again. Like I think the Jazz need 20 games consistently of those guys all playing together before they're going to feel confident that Boyan knows exactly what his role is. And he does seem to be the one who changes the most every night because sometimes the Jazz asks him to post up. Sometimes he gets a ton of open threes because of his his matchup. There's just some weird things and Boyan too often is probably the odd man out and I think that's a little hard on him. But I, I, I'm not... I, I do believe that maybe he's the player whose role changes the most night to night on the Jazz as opposed to anyone else. So that's a good question, Monique, uh, and I think that's something to keep an eye on for him. If he can lock in and play at his highest level, which he did last season for the Jazz, and they get Mike playing the way Mike has this season, and Rudy does Rudy things, and Donovan does Donovan things, and Joe can still be good, like the Jazz are legitimately a championship contender. So uh, And Boyan's going to play a big part of that. Brady Clark, my old friend. Uh, how big of a difference is Rudy's defensive performance this year than what it was last year? Or is this team just better defensively overall so it gives him a better chance to win his third DPOI? I think the Jazz guards are way better this year than they were last season. And a lot of that starts with Mike Conley. Quinn Snyder's talked about that. Knowing exactly what his job is, what they're trying to do, funneling people towards uh, uh, Rudy. I think Jordan Clarkson's experiencing the same thing. He's been better defensively. George Yang's just been better overall. So I think... 
perimeter players have been significantly better, both in their understanding and their effort. It feels like they've been pouncing and attacking a little bit more uh, off the or, or high on the dribble. Their pickup points, which Quinn Snyder's talked about quite a bit, have certainly helped. So I think a lot of Rudy is is some of the same stuff we've seen traditionally. His block shots are up. You know, uh, they're a career high right now, over two a game. So he might be a little more engaged, playing a little better, but. For the most part, I think we're seeing a lot of Rudy. And you know what? He might be doing a little bit less offensively. He's certainly scoring less. And I wonder if he has a little bit more energy for the defensive end of the ball. And he's bought into the fact that he can be a superstar and not have to score. And that's hard to do because guys want to touch the ball. It's where you show up on SportsCenter getting dunks. That's kind of his identity. Andre Karolinko struggled when he wasn't touching the ball and was still asked to play defense. Rudy seems to be buying in a little bit more to that. And it's, uh, it's been better for the Jazz. Adrian on Twitter. I love how the Jazz are working to combat racism and things like Black History Month videos and scholarships. While some say these are distractions from their real jobs, do you think addressing social and racial issues can build unity and have a positive impact on how they play? Uh, I, I think, yes, sure. You know, if it's something you feel like you're playing for, if it's, you know, a, a positive distraction, I don't even want to call it a distraction. That sounds belittling or demeaning. You know, this is this is the live these guys are always living, you know, that they always look this way, feel this way, act this way, are viewed this way, uh, you know, regardless of who they are, how much money they make or, or their fame in the NBA. You know, there's countless stories of NBA players who have been victims of racial identity or, or, or racial profiling. Uh, so I, I think maybe the fact that they can talk about it now might honestly be a pressure off their shoulder. And I don't think everyone wants to talk about it. It's not even if it's your burden it doesn't mean you owe it to anyone to have to talk about it. And I think that's totally fair. So some guys may get asked about it that don't want to talk about it or don't feel comfortable or don't feel educated enough to talk about it. And some guys probably wanted to be able to talk about it more and never felt like they had an open door to be able to do it. So I, I, I'm sure some guys have liked it and it's probably helped some guys. I think it's, you know, it's given Donovan Mitchell uh, a nice platform for something that he cares a lot about. And he spent his money, uh, it, you know, accordingly to show that it, you know, it's it's not a ploy. He's not getting anything out of this. He's giving away more, way more money than he's making as a result of it. So I don't think you could attribute to anything like that. So for some guys, I think it probably really helps. Uh, and for some guys, I think it's it's probably more difficult. It's probably something that they weren't expecting they were going to have to, you know, confront as often as they do. Though it has obviously felt far less on the forefront than it was in the bubble and, and than it was during last season. Uh, but good question on that. You know, I think it, it's probably going to be case by case basis. I don't think it's been hard on the jazz players specifically as far as taking away anything they do on the floor. Uh, Chris Phillips, jazz are clearly rolling. How much of the success do you attribute to the team, the success uh, and system? How much do you attribute to luck health? Um, they've been lucky a little bit with health though. Joe Ingles missed four games. Donovan Mitchell missed two games. Mike Conley's missed six games. What's that? 12 overall. And the Jazz were undefeated in those. So uh, they're really good. You know. Now, if Rudy goes down, they're going to be in trouble. But if anyone's best player goes down, they're going to be in trouble. Lakers aren't going to be as good right now uh, while Anthony Davis is hurt. The Clippers aren't as good while Kawhi is out or while Paul George is out. So, you know, I'm not breaking any news there. If Rudy gets injured, the Jazz don't have any way to replace him, even, even if Favors is pretty good. Uh, and that's going to cause them an issue. But... I mean, the team and the system are, are great. The, this design from Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck to get these players and Quinn Snyder's ability to build a system to bring out something good in every single one of these players, you can't cater to everything every single one of these guys does. Um, but 
to get the most out of them within this system and alongside one another is probably what the Jazz have done best so far this year. So it's the system, it's the team, it's the roster, it's the talent, it's the buy-in, it's the players, uh, more than anything. And then a little bit of the health has certainly helped because uh, it could certainly be derailed uh, if something goes wrong, and that would be uh, that would be scary for the Jazz. That would be unfortunate to have this team knowing it might be Mike Conley's last year and not be able to see it through. That'll do it, I, I believe, for all the questions I'm getting. Appreciate everyone who tweeted at me. As always, follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. You can read me at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app. We'll be back with you with another uh, Jazz Notes episode next week. <laughs>